Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I am joined by Mr. Tim Smitties. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio with your host, myself, Ian Dunigan. Today I am joined by Mr. Tim Smitties. Uh, Tim recently completed his Bachelor of Science Honours at the University of Western Australia and he was supervised by Dr. Ian Dunigan, aka myself, Dr. Jennifer Walsh and Professor Peter Eastwood. Now, The honours project or an honours year traditionally happens at the end of an undergraduate degree and is a precursor in general to a PhD for research or a master's for research. And in this project, Tim completed his research with the former Super Rugby team, the Western Force, which at the time were the most travelled professional sporting team in the world. And Tim uh, did an excellent job on his project where he assessed the sleep and performance of these rugby players across a number of games in the Super Rugby, which basically covered games here in Australia, in Western Australia, a game in South Africa, and then on for a game in Argentina, and then back here for a game in Perth. So, quite a lot of travel, resulting in a lot of jet lag. And so, Tim is going to talk through that study. Um, that formed his thesis for his honours degree last year. Tim has finished up at the University of Western Australia and is going to take a break in between um, this honours degree and going on to do further PhD studies. And he's heading off to the UK to play cricket. I think he leaves in about nine days. So he's a premier grade cricket player. So Tim is uh, well versed in many sports, not just rugby, but also in cricket as well. And a great guy and, and um, a real passion for the area. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and let's get into the show. guest today is Tim Smitties. Tim is very nervous because he's never done a podcast before. <laughs> he's probably doubly nervous because he's sitting here in my kitchen uh, here in Perth. Tim, welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy happy World Sleep Day. Happy World Sleep Day today. More importantly, happy um, in advance, happy St. Patrick's Day for tomorrow. That's right, St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. I remember a few years ago, St. Patrick's Day and World Sleep Day was on the very same day and I thought that was quite ironic because uh, the majority of people will be somewhat intoxicated, which we all know affects sleep time. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. Counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. A little bit funny. Anyway, yeah. So, happy World Sleep Day today. We're recording this on March 16th. It's a Friday. And Tim's about to head off to the UK in a few weeks. Yep. The United Kingdom. Have you ever been to the UK before, Tim? I've been once, yeah. I went to London for a few days, went and saw a friend in Portsmouth. Portsmouth, oh yeah, big naval base there. Yes, and that was on route to Canada for my exchange a few years ago. Mm. Where about in Canada did you go? Oh, it's Halifax in Nova Scotia. Uh, so it's got like, isn't that got like a kind of a Scottish European influence it's, there, is it? It's interesting, the Scottish, and this is something I learnt, um, this is something I've learnt 
since going over there, the Scottish, um, the whole Nova Scotia thing um, and the, the, the idea that it's a, a new Scotland, obviously Nova Scotia, yeah, that yeah. was a marketing, a marketing idea from Canada as far as, really? yeah, as, far as I know that um, basically Share the province, of Canada. <laughs> essentially the province didn't have a whole lot that, um, that it could do in the way of tourism and they wanted to obviously bring that aspect into the, um, into the economy and so they marketed it as the new, the new Scotland. The new Scotland. Yeah. But isn't there elements or elements? But isn't there a place in Nova Scotia where they speak French? Is there? Is there little pockets? Am I getting that right? I think there is. Um, where the Acadians come from, um, and that's da, 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 town Wolfville um, around there, which is actually where my girlfriend studies at the moment. Mm. That's. Um, I think that has some that has quite a bit of French influence. I don't know exactly, but it's not. It's officially an English an English province. It's not officially English speaking province. Yeah. not an English, not a province. No, no, not it's a province. Yeah. <laughs> be very careful here, Tim. Yeah. there's a few Canadian listeners here. Quite irate. <laughs> yeah, I could be completely wrong here. Apologies um, in advance. Yeah, we all know. You know, it's like when I call say the Canadians that it's part of America to get quite get quite annoyed. But then again, when people accuse me of being part of the UK, I get quite annoyed. So. <laughs> What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Anyway, enough talk about geography and politics of Canada and other countries. Why are you heading to UK, Tim? What's happening in England? I'm heading over to the UK to play cricket for a season, which I'm very excited about. Is this professionally, semi-professionally? It's not professionally. It's not semi-professionally. It's um, something I've wanted to do for a few years, a um, few years now, and quite a, quite a few of my friends have done it. Um, essentially, a lot of players that play over here then end up going over the UK, I guess, things such as flights and accommodation is, um, and, and jobs and stuff are sorted out. But since it's still technically amateur sport, there's no, there's no payment involved. Payment, yeah. Nah, but there's, I guess, I guess if you think about it, I guess with jobs and accommodation and flights and, and, and all that kind of thing set up, it's probably a better way, better way to do it than, than a, than a payment anyway, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, similar, similar to GEA in Ireland, the Gaelic Athletic Association for many years and probably still the same, even though it's an amateur sport. I think a lot of people get jobs and little sweetheart deals behind the scenes. Yes, yeah. amateur world. Yeah. That used to happen in rugby before I went professional too. Yeah. So. Amateurs in quotation marks. Amateurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we need a Stewart's inquiry. All right, so, Tim, you're heading off to England or the UK. England's part of the UK, obviously. Um, after completing your honours degree here at University of Western Australia. Yeah. Now, for full disclosure, we recorded this podcast today for a couple of reasons. One is that last year I was a co-supervisor on Tim's research. Now Tim has finished and has graduated. will graduate tomorrow. Yeah, first class, official, yeah. First official tomorrow. Tim will, will graduate tomorrow with first class honours degree. Congratulations, Tim. Thank you. And also, the fact that Tim is finished at UWA, I've recently finished my PhD at GWA. It means we're both free from any organisational structure, which means we are free to talk. Yeah. Tim doesn't have to be nice to me for any reason no. because I'm a super co-supervisor. And I don't have to be nice to Tim for any reason because he's a student. Never even stopped during the past, mate. It never stopped in the past. <laughs> yeah, we were always pretty blunt. So Tim, let's um let's reverse the clock and uh, let's um sure. go back to the very start of the of the research project that you did at UWA with us at the Centre for Sleep Science. Can you give us a bit of overview of that project? Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. So um, the project, with the project, um, we, were, we were involved with the Western Force. We looked at, um, we looked at sleep within the Western Force as um, 
as regular listeners probably know, I think you've discussed before this, uh, the Western Force are the most, or were last year, the most travelled professional sporting team in the world. Um, in the 2017 season, they travelled nearly 70,000 kilometres, which is a long way. Um, and it sort of prevented, presented a unique opportunity to look at um, what we what we consider ultra long distance air travel, or, what's, um, or what sometimes people call long haul international travel, and and the effects that that can have on sleep in within athletes, yeah. obviously within the Super Rugby players here. Um, and so yeah, the, so the study aimed to investigate what effects that that travel can have on the sleep of, of of the players, and also potentially how that how any any effects of sleep can be linked to um, to performance of players. Yeah, oh, very interesting. Right. So that's and it's kind of it's a few different levels in that. Um, when you talk about being the most internationally travelled um, Super Rugby team, what countries do they travel to? So they travelled to oh I guess rather the the Super Rugby team comprises of um, of competition comprises of teams from New Zealand Australia South Africa Argentina and also Japan so for a competition that's not exactly in, in it, I guess uh, it is an international competition that's sort of marketed or I guess almost almost put as a domestic competition um, and so they have to travel obviously to those teams. Um, the notable, I guess, big travel period that the, that the the team had to look at, and what we were particularly interested in, is was a period where they had to travel to South Africa, then to Argentina, and then back home to Australia, completing a loop around the world. And they played at each of those destinations as well. Um, yeah. So that was a big, that was sort of the big notable travel period that the Western Force had to undertake. And obviously, when you play a game of rugby, rugby union, it's quite a physical, yeah. high impact, you know physically and cognitively ta- taxing game yeah yeah so how would you describe rugby union Tim because um, I had this conversation with somebody the other day that there's rugby union and rugby league rugby union can be described as the posh person sport yeah <laughs> and rugby league is the working class sport now <laughs> that's how some people describe it um, maybe rugby league though might be more posher these days making more money yeah but anyway people often associate them from a class but can you t- tell us about um the kind of characteristics and the difference of the players and the difference in the game. Well, I'm probably going to go one step further here. I'm probably going to <laughs> upset quite a few people. I think. <laughs> I think rugby union, a rugby league rather, is dumbed down rugby union. Oh, I tell <laughs> <laughs> um, And I don't. Yeah, I guess I mean that in the sense that rugby league takes away the 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 the, the more technical aspects of rugby union. I think from a from someone that knows a little bit about rugby but doesn't know a hell of a lot, they look at rugby as as, as sort of as lots of tackles, lots of running. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and they look at it like that. And rugby league definitely is more so that than rugby union. I think rugby union is probably one of the most technical sports going. Full stop. Um, the manual, the the the, the law book is is, oh. is is very very thick and. Um, and and I don't think people get that as get that at first. Um, but yeah, it's it's it. In, even with that being said, it's still a very intense game. Lots of high impact collisions, uh, running, tackling, skill works so of passing and kicking, and um, and oh, some of the more strategy as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hell of a lot of strategy. Yeah, as well. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's a bit like I liken it to um, mixed martial arts. A lot of people look at two guys in a ring or a cage or 
two ladies and they'll see them hitting one another and they just think it's uncontrolled violence. And really, there is so much technical and strategic work going on there. Sure. You know, yeah. and you know, I train MMA once a week just for fitness with some guys, and the little small things that people do, like you just, and even now, you just I have no idea still of what's what what people can do. Sure. Yeah. And it's the same in rugby as well. There's fine details going on that we're not even conscious of. So, Tim, this this study you had um, across the season. Um, what was the aim of the study? What were you trying to find out? Um, so we were, I, mean, I guess we were looking at, um, what were we trying to find out? We were, we were looking at the, the, I guess the long haul, the long haul distances that the team had to travel, um, to travel with. And, and those sort of, those long distances, especially consecutively, haven't really been looked at in athletes at all, but in particular, or very limited in athletes rather, but in particular with um, with rugby union athletes. And so we, we didn't really know how those distances at all affected their sleep, if the, if the players' um, sleep was affected, how their perhaps circadian rhythm would be affected or how jet lag would affect their overall sleep and, and wakefulness patterns. Yeah. And... Um, and lastly, of course, since since that hasn't really been assessed, that hasn't been equated to um, to performance, or it hasn't been looked at in in context of performance of, of how these kind of these such distances can um, can affect the performance of athletes and in particular Super Rugby players. Yeah. So when we talk about affecting performance, Tim. It can be very difficult in rugby because there's so much going on, as you spoke about strategic wise. What do we know about performance in rugby at the moment from sleep? Do we know anything? Do we know how it's affected? What do we know? What do we know? Um, I, I wouldn't say we. I wouldn't say prior to prior to what we've done here, we we know a hell of a lot, we know a hell of a lot at all, really. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm racking my brains here trying to think. Like I'm, I I can't think of any anybody that's tried to quantify performance as a result of sleep extension or loss or sleep manipulation in Super Rugby or even Rugby Union or even Rugby League that I know of. And I think so. back to your back to your point. Rugby Union is a very very difficult start. Um, because there's so much going on within the game at any one period of time, there's not really many um, many individual components that you can point to that are a, a good correlation of, of performance. There's so much that's going on at any one period of time that it's hard to really nail down yeah. particular aspects of it. And then again, every player on a rugby union team has got a different role. So you can't say player one is the same as player five because they're completely different roles in the game yeah. and they have to do completely different things. Sure. So... Yeah. It's very hard, even from a team perspective or even from individual, to, to break them out. So, can you give us a bit of an overview then, Tim, of the study design and sort of the periods you spoke about, the different travel and so on? Can you just give us a bit of a, a kind of an end-to-end view of the measurement time and how you measured sleep and what sort of measures you used to, around performance or recovery to kind of to gather data? Sure. So, I guess the very first thing that we did before any... Um, sort of objective measurement of sleep um, took place as we gave we gave all the players a survey um, these surveys included three already and heavily validated um, sleep questionnaires that looked at I guess um, gave us an overview of the, of the general population and where they are in terms of their sleep and their perceived sleep and um, and various things of that nature we then gave the players um, uh, what a ready band, which is which has been discussed here, is a wrist-worn activity monitor, which has been validated by yourself to um, to to measure sleep quite accurately, measure different sleep measures or sleep components quite accurately, and that's been 
assessed against PSG or polysomnography, which is the the sleep setup with wires all attached to the brain in different parts of the body, and that's the generally the gold standard, and also an actigraph, which has been validated against polysomnography, and that's a similar um, activity monitoring monitoring device. We gave that in a pilot study before taking taking that off them, and that gave a sort of a, 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 an overview of the sleep um, of the general sleep patterns of the of the team. We then had ready bands on the on the team for the second, I guess, or probably the the later two thirds of the season, um, and that was including, I guess, the period that the period of note that, were, that I was talking about earlier, where the players had to travel within three weeks um, to South Africa, then to Argentina, and then back um, back to Perth. We had the the ready bands on them at all times throughout that period, so that except for the games, which. Um, which gave us an which gave us information about their sleep in various different uh, variables and various different measures during that period, um, and yeah, that gave us a that gave us an assessment of their sleep during that during those uh, those periods. Yeah. So, what did you use then, Tim, to assess performance? So, given that it was difficult and there's nothing out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so for team performance, team performance was perhaps the easier thing to look at overall because we can look at i guess well what affects their actual what affects how well how well the team does in the competition we look at points we look at wins and losses matter obviously so that's that's a measure of of team performance score differential matters because if if teams are an equal amount of points and the team that has a better score differential um is higher on the ladder so that matters as well um for individual, so we use those those measures for um, those such measures for, for team performance. For individual performance, it was obviously yeah particularly difficult. Uh, particularly difficult. What we decided to use um, was what we called the IPP or individual player performance, and this is actually based off of um, off of fantasy data, so Super Rugby fantasy data. If you if um, I'm sure many listeners are aware, for, for a lot of sports, you have what you, what you consider fantasy um, competitions where players are assigned a certain amount of points for particular actions on the field. And then these points are all added up and player chooses his team and, 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 they, and you compete I mean, you compete against other, other people in that fashion. Um, so we, we use that kind of um, we use that kind of approach to look at individual player performance. And um, and then we, we we firstly validated that against our, our team performance measures, so win win loss and also score differential to um, to say hey this is actually measuring individual performance in a, in a pretty reasonable way, and we were able to do that in this in the study. So the IPP score that you kind of developed from these Foxtel or fantasy measures or yeah. online measures. And um, did they correlate well with team performance? Yeah, yeah. So they, um, so we did find a, a significant relationship for, um, for I guess mean IPP for for the players for a for a given game, and both their win loss and also um, and also their score differential. So yes, we did have relationships between um, between IPP and both of those measures. So why didn't you take traditional measures that may be collected from a GPS monitoring device, such as you know a catapult type device where the guys are wearing this vest um, underneath or to kind of getting chipped where it shows meters run? They might have tackles collected by the team. Why didn't you use that data? What's sure? So um, I guess with that, with with what 
you alluded to early, uh, earlier, rugby union's a very, very tactical game. And so if, if a particular player, I mean, I guess tactics change from week to week depending on conditions, depending, depending on the team that they're playing in particular. So if a player runs, say, 10Ks a game versus 6Ks, it doesn't mean whatsoever that they've performed at a lower, at a lower level. Um, especially, yeah, especially, again, given the nature of rugby union where the conditions can vary, um, can vary greatly. Obviously, positions, players, um, the amount of... The amount of, of, of distance a player covers in a given in a given game, for example, can vary very very greatly, and um, and the team that they're playing. So certain teams, when you, for certain teams, you'd implement um, different tactics, which would which would result in greatly different numbers between games. That isn't necessarily indicative of the performance of the team or the performance of the players themselves. Okay. So, do you think that these fantasy type league scores this IPP and so on could be used by other researchers and other sports such as soccer ice hockey NFL do you think researchers other researchers should consider these measures as a as a novel way of measuring performance I definitely think so provided that they provided that they can demonstrate that it does actually relate to team performance that hey players individual players scoring higher um, in those particular games does result in the team performing better and, and, and we can and we can obviously um, and we can obviously assess that. I think if that is established within a given sport, I think it's definitely a good um, a good or a, a feasible um, novel measure as as in these things typically lots of different factors are considered um, to make up these individual scores I guess you look at. It's not just looking at one particular measure that might be for rugby union, for example. We're not just looking at tackles made because you can make 20 tackles in a game and you can still have a horrible game, for example, because everything else is going wrong. So it's taking into account, and a lot of these measures take into account I mean, a whole scope of different actions that, um, that can occur at the field. And I think it's a... I think, again, provided that you can make that relationship between the individual performance measures and the overall team performance, I think it is quite a, um, quite a feasible novel measure. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. We look at lots of data in you know, sports and sleep, and a lot of times we use self-reported measures, and I, I, I believe they're quite poor, and we've seen that a lot in the research around sleep, that we overestimate you know, sleep duration, we underestimate time it takes to fall asleep, we don't have a good idea about sleep problems, we, we generally don't know how it affects our performance. And so using these other measures are, you know, either, I don't know, semi-quantitative or somewhat objective, you want to call them, that, to call them those, in conjunction with objective measures such from sleep and wrist activity devices. I think it's really interesting and really cool to do. So, um, you collected those measures of sleep, you had all the, so you had all the questionnaires prior, the baseline and um, around sleep disorders and you know valid you said validated sleep questionnaires then you had the sleep measures and then you had the IPP scores those are the three kind of big buckets of measures yeah that you collected what did you find in the questionnaires were people more at risk of having a sleep disorder were people morning types evening types were they all sort of 22 years of age and 500 kilos like what, what did you find in that so um I guess to break that down, we look at. Uh, I guess you could break it down in the sense of I mean, by looking at the three particular validated sleep questionnaires that we assessed um, or that we used. There was the Epworth Sleepiness Scale, which looks at general daytime sleepiness of the yeah. individuals. The Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, which is a very well validated overall sleep quality um, 
questionnaire that has various different components to it and the morning this evening is questionnaire which looks at chronotype which whether a player is, is more of an evening person morning person um that kind of thing for the morning this evening this questionnaire we found that um i believe it was all but two players fell into either the morning category or the intermediate category um and that's been actually found in super rugby i mean, not super rugby rather rugby populations previously so it wasn't a particular surprise yeah um and then for the epworth sleep in a scale and pittsburgh sleep quality index um i found for for me the the population averages and um and and things like that the the medians that they represented more of a um they almost represented more of a general population than what we normally find in sport um Particularly, I think with those with those two particular measures, we usually find that they're very poor in sport. A lot of a yeah. lot of athletes do sleep very poorly, and that's presented in the in the um, in the questionnaires. Um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's in part to, to some of the work that you've done prior with with the force. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. To, I don't think it's it's too good to speculate on that, but I think that might definitely have have a factor. Um, in in all that but yeah we did find that they self-reported that they did actually sleep reasonably well in comparison to a lot of other athlete populations and how much sleep were these guys getting a night on average so on average they were getting close to pretty close to eight hours when it was unaffected when when there was no travel affected no game affected it was usually probably between seven and a half to, to eight hours probably more more so towards seven and a half but there was actually quite quite a lot of sleep and that was surprising again in comparison to what we've seen in other and po- other athlete populations that's pretty decent um, did you find any trends across the week did they sleep more like before the game less after like was there any sort of kind of um, pattern across the season that you observed sure so we definitely noticed that um, the players as they got closer to the game, sleep duration increased from say earlier in the week monday tuesday when they're probably having heavier training schedules towards the end of the week we definitely noticed an increase in sleep duration and that was consistent amongst travel conditions so even if they traveled the the same pattern occurred Um, in addition to that it was found that time at wake uh, so time at sleep onset so when the players actually fell asleep didn't didn't change across the week but time at wake actually got a bit later so um so we hypothesize from that that it's um a lot of the increase in sleep duration may be due to i guess different training requirements perhaps they were weren't required to come in as early on those later days um towards a game and that was that was maybe why they're getting an increase in sleep duration so delaying the start time in the morning for training or having no training actually allowed them to sleep in and get more sleep yeah yes definitely yeah very interesting what about after the game nights of the game so after the game um time at sleep onset was particularly late and that's probably to be expected a lot of these games are night games the players will be having adrenaline pumping through the system they've got post-match media a lot of them will be ingesting caffeine prior to the game that could be in um delaying their ability to sleep until later in in the night um socializing could perhaps be a factor there's many different factors but we found overall that time at sleep onset so it's like the time that the players fell asleep was much later than it normally would be the night immediately following the game and that's been found against me uh, uh, that's been found in other team sports um already so that's quite a consistent finding across team sports 
time at wake wasn't um, wasn't any later, and so because of that, sleep duration usually suffered on that particular night. Yeah, this is interesting because we see this in industry or in business where people got to work late, do a phone call, whatever it might be, then sleep is impacted. Yeah. So like for last night, for example, I had to do a like a WebEx video conference to the US from 8pm to about 9pm. Sure. And so I didn't get sleep nearly about 11, where I'd normally be asleep around 10, but then I still got up this morning at 6 o'clock. Yeah. So it's, you know, I've re- reduced, you know, sort of sleep duration. And I'm starting to feel a bit crap, even though I've consumed copious amounts of caffeine this morning. I'm starting to feel a bit tired. So, yeah, it's interesting that, that you sort of, um, you see that happening as well, because we see that in business and industry. Um, yeah. All right. So, what about the IPP scores and relationship to sleep? Did you see, you know, if they had a bad night's sleep the night before the game, or less sleep, or sleep during the week, did that have any effect on the IPP score or the game performance? Sure. So in, in the study, we looked at IPP um, in relation to performance of the game. Oh, no, sorry. IPP in relation to sleep duration. And we looked at that the, the, um, for a few particular nights. It was usually the night immediately following the previous game, uh, during travel and immediately following travel, as well as the night before the game. So during the travel periods and, and, and um, following the previous game, the, the hypothesis was that if sleep was disturbed there, that perhaps that could run in, um, that could lead into a, a, a lesser performance in the following week's game. And we, we didn't find that. And I guess the, 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 the thinking behind that, the, the logical thinking behind that and, and with what we found, what we found with the sleep is that sleep in the, in the few nights before each game, as we discussed before, sleep duration increased and it, it got to quite pretty reasonable levels. And, um, and perhaps if there was any, any performance loss that would have occurred because of the sleep loss earlier in the week, whether that be around travel or be around, um, be around poor sleep following the previous game. That would have definitely been recovered prior to prior to the the game. Yeah. Um, in terms of the night before the game, we we found that quite simply into individual dif- so individual differences between um, in sleep duration the night before the game had no real impact on on the performance within the game. Um, as I mean, as as it's quite commonly known, people require different different amounts of sleep so what one person might be able to function perfectly fine in seven hours of sleep or six and a half hours of sleep someone else might need eight and a half hours of sleep each night and we and we see that quite commonly um in different populations yeah but then you've got people who can get by on four hours of sleep and do quite well such as donald trump yeah look how good he is doing <laughs> and we've got a space force coming soon yeah. I hope the FBI aren't listening to this. If you are, come and get me. Um. I reckon he's just watched a Star Wars movie, and those are the two words that have come to, come to mind. Force. Space and force. Space force. It'll be like the Air Force, but in space. But in space. Oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, I really would like to have a coffee with that man. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Get him on, his, get him on the podcast. I'd love to get him on a podcast. Yeah. I'd really, yeah. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, I would, I would love to because I don't know where I would cry, or go into hysterics of laughing, or just shake my. I don't know. It would be a good case study, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah. It'd be a very good case study. Yeah. So if anybody's there in uh, the staff of President Trump, please let us know, and we'll get you on the podcast. <laughs> um, 
Air Force One has only 24 hours there. You'll so. give out your Twitter handle to them and all. <laughs> I do follow him on Twitter. He's a, he's a, a source, an endless source of entertainment. Yeah. And it's it's interesting when you bring him up on Twitter because you just see people constantly liking it, retweeting it, or commenting on it. It's just like a, like a casino machine, you know, like one of these slot machines just continually turning over. I'll tell you what, no matter what you think of him, he get he gets your attention, doesn't he? In, in one way or another, if you think positively or negatively against him, you can't take that away from him. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's the best worst president ever that ever was. Yeah, he's, I agree. Just, yeah, he's a sort. Yeah, it, it's probably proof to many people that we live in a simulation and this isn't real. Yeah. Anyway, Tim, we'll move on with the conversation <laughs> about research. Um. So, all that being said, and all that being done, um, with the Western Force. If there's another super rugby team out there, um, what would you be a recommendation to another super rugby team about managing sleep and performance? What, what's the kind of findings that you would communicate to them and, and what would your recommendations be? I guess the number one thing, and this is probably I mean, the number one thing that you could probably take away from, from the study is at least awareness that, that these big travel periods can affect the player's sleep. Yeah. And, um, and I think the effects that sleep can have on both performance and recovery are quite well documented at this stage. Um, so it is a very important it is it is a very important um, consideration for for teams that you can't necessarily just book book a flight um, willy nilly without really considering the consequences that that can have on the um, on the sleep of players. Um, I would say that I'd also say, and this is probably a bit like, as much of a personal um, grievance as anything. I think governing bodies for sporting competitions could perhaps do a better job to ensure that, I mean, it was interesting for us because it it led to a very unique situation, but I can't imagine in many other sporting competitions, a travel schedule such as what happened with the Western force occurring. Um, And I think it's important for those, for those kind of scheduling as well to take in consideration that, Hey, these long, these long travel schedules, or if you look at NBA, for example, back to back games with, with travel over time zones, it's it's well documented that this affects performance and also can increase rate of rates of injury, um, and I think it's an important consideration to take to take um, to take into competitions as well. Yeah. And um, any individual advice for players going forward? Hmm. Individual advice. I. Particularly, like if a player is you know sort of 17, 18, 19 and wants to become a super rugby player during that development phase or, you know, they're playing at a local club, what could they take away from it as well? Sure. So I guess that's probably a bit less related to to the travel aspect of it if, if you're looking at that kind of thing. I think one thing that personally I can take from it is is um, is what we are discussing before, how the individual differences the night before the game don't really, don't affect sleep as much. I think, and this is a bit of a personal thing. I used to get very caught up the night before a particular game. I'd like I'd get particularly nervous and wouldn't be able to sleep sleep as well as I otherwise would. And just to know that provided your sleep patterns are good prior, and that's very very important factor. But provided your sleep's good before a game, that if you don't get a particularly good night's sleep the night before a game, it's not going to outright affect your performance. You're still going to be able to perform at the level provided your sleep prior to the game is is adequate. I guess in terms so of... So in the previous 24, 48, 72 hours, those days leading in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I guess in terms of the travel, I think the effects of the effects of, um, of sleep on performance aren't at all 
um, just entirely applicable to, or they're not only applicable to sports people. I think business people, for example, obviously, obviously if you're looking at there, you have to be alert, you have to be cognitively switched on. And we know that both time and day and sleep can greatly affect cognitive performance. And so I think as well as, um, as, well as with sports teams and with athletes, it's important to consider um, how a particular travel schedule, if you're traveling for a, for a conference or whatever, how that will affect um, how that will affect your performance um, when when it's required. Okay. So, all's done, Tim. You graduate tomorrow, first class honors at the University of Western Australia, which is like the equivalent of Yale or Harvard in this country. <laughs> Sandstone University. Congratulations. It's really nice. You get to wear that cap and gown. Yeah. It is though, it is like, it's a, what's UWS, like the top five unis in Australia? In Australia, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Let's let's have a quick Google search and see, because we need to pump ourselves up here, Tim. You know, we're both going to graduate from UWS this year. We want to make sure that we're giving ourselves the um, the best thing we can. Yeah. What is the ranking of UWS in Australia? I know it's part of the group of eight, which is like... It's the highest in Perth. We can we can claim to find that. Well, here, here's what I just got up with. the rankings of Australia. Well, it's the highest in Western Australia, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see what, what the rankings say. I think we'd be about fifth or so. And go, we're slipping, we're slipping. Where well, we? according to the main Australian rankings table, we are number six. That must have that must have happened um, since we left. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah, Tim, yeah. Monash is number five. Yeah. UNSW, where I did my master's in engineering, mine engineering is number four. And University of Melbourne is number one at the moment. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So still, number six out of many. Yeah, still definitely, obviously, a pleasure to, to, to do my research <laughs> at, at UWI. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah, it's, yeah, it was... Pretty good campus. It's pretty nice. Oh, it's a lo- lovely campus. Pretty nice it? campus. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. So, Tim, um, what's next? You go, to, you go to the UK to play cricket. What's yeah. after that? Are you going to head back into research? Are you going to run off and join the circus what's going to happen um i don't think i'm skilled enough to join the surf- circus and i'm not well, maybe i'm abnormal enough to <laughs> it, could be, it could be a pair it could be a pair of monkeys like yeah. <laughs> um i definitely do want to do research somewhere along along the lines um in the future i don't think at the, I mean, at the moment i do want to take a little bit of a little bit of a break going over there to play cricket it's something that's I mean, very exciting it's something i've wanted to do and um it'd be a good life experience for me um, so yeah, I definitely, but I definitely want to continue research along the line, particularly in, um, I guess, applied research, which is, um, I, what, what I've done, what I did last year with, with the Western Force, um, with my honours project, it was definitely more so of the, more, more so the applied, um, the, yeah, the applied type research. And, and I definitely enjoyed that. And that's something that I do want to do pushing forward, um, for sure. Yeah. Very good. Well, I wish you all the best with that, Tim. Thank you very much. It's really Cheers. good. Well, when do you fly out next week? Uh, it's it's nah, it's a, a few a few weeks time. So yeah, I think, what's the date today? Fifteenth, sixteenth. Yeah, no, it's two or three weeks time. Yeah. Oh. Are you going through Dubai? I'm going through Qatar, which I've gone through before. Oh, yeah, I've, yeah. So you know, I'm looking forward to that, and yeah. Tim, before you go, have I told you about my new business, Medias Consulting? You have, you have very briefly, yes. Will I tell you again for the benefit of our listeners? Go for it, yeah, please. To plug our new business? Please. You, you don't sound very enthusiastic. No, no. <laughs> I, only, I only caught a very, I caught a very brief, brief glimpse of it before, so I'd love, to, I'd love to hear more about it. Thank you. Good. Well, this is a little advertisement from Medias Consulting. 
Um, and as you may know, I am leading Melius Consulting. We started in January of this year, and we have extensive experience um, across international domains, working in mining, oil and gas, construction, aviation, and indeed elite or athletic organizations. And we do research as well, but we're leading universities. So what Melius does is we, tr- we look to partner with leaders and businesses to identify opportunities to improve performance. We're really focused around the health and safety improvement aspects of a business, particularly at the strategy and systems level. And we operate across all industries and sectors with expert capability and experience in applied project management, continuous improvement and scientific research principles. Our team of professional consultants, Tim, are experts in health, safety and business improvement. We work in partnership to diagnose and review um, areas for improvement identify and scope high value low cost opportunities for improvement, seek synergies with existing business practice to reduce net, uh, rework and waste, identify additional value for the business in productivity and minimization of cost, and support the change management process to unlock value. Now what we're really trying to say there, and that's a bit of a script, but I'm really trying to say there is when we go in and we improve health and safety and things like fatigue management, you know, roster optimization, uh, delving into risk management such around fatalities or high risk areas not only do we want to improve safety improve health we want to lower risk improve performance through productivity and lower cost so we're really looking for that triple bottom line yeah. which is on the economic social and environmental and the last point is people are saying why Melius what is Melius M-E-L-I-U-S it's a Latin word Tim you've, been, you've been a scholar from UWA would know this <laughs> Latin for the, to make, to improve or to make better in good style. Oh, so okay. I was, thought it was quite apt. So Melius yeah. Consulting, um, our website is under construction. But if you have any queries, you can always email me at ian.dunican at meliusconsulting.com.au. And as always for the podcast, you can get to me at ian.dunican at sleepforperformance.com.au as well for any suggested guests, any feedback or any questions. Now, I've also been asked him, what's the difference between sleep for performance and what's the difference between Melius Consulting? Melius Consulting is the business arm. That's where we engage with industry and athletes and so on. Sleep for performance is a free, educational, community promotional arm where we do blogs, the podcast, write out for ebooks and so on. So it's purely non-for-profit educational. And you can head over to sleepforperformance.com.au find some free stuff over there plenty of videos links to podcasts and so on other than that we do all our work through medias in terms of uh, consulting where we also partner with a company called orbis a team of management professionals and have i told you tim in a few weeks i'll be heading to kazakhstan yes yes you have yeah did i yeah you did oh yeah i did well, i'll tell you again but i'll like you more <laughs> about it <laughs> so we head up to kazakhstan in a few weeks to speak at a conference uh my next 2008 central asia um, so we're speaking there about alertness and productivity and mining. So I hope to be speaking a little bit more about that in the future and um, bring on some more research around the applied aspects of industry and shift work and indeed productivity. So I won't bore you anymore. Thanks very much, Tim, for coming on the podcast. Wish you all the best in England. Thank you. Hopefully you come back. Um, you know, Adam Gilchrist went there and then he came back and was very famous. I saw, I actually watched something on, on Facebook recently. It was, it was a thing when he was 17 and it was talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah Adam Gilchrist done quite well for us. And it's like, he's played 13 games and scored 1100 or something, <laughs> something like that. And you got to, so you could be as famous as Adam when he comes back. You got back. a young Adam Gilchrist who's struggling to put his words together, talking there and. Yeah. 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 
I'm actually chasing Adam to come on the podcast, so hopefully I can get Adam on. It'd be good. Ask him about that. We'll ask him. We'll see. I'll, yeah. I'll send the I'll send the video to you. You can play it and, and see his reaction. <laughs> All right. Listen. Thanks very much, Tim, and thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you next time. Thank you.